Amen. Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's guest is the illustrious SMQAI. SMQAI came onto the YouTube scene with his groundbreaking We All Died in 2012 video. Then he moved on to the Mandela Effect and investigating the CIA's gateway process. He's now doing videos with Jeremy Crow and a few other things, and we're here to catch up and see what's going on. SMQ, welcome to the Obelisk. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's a it's definitely a great pleasure. And I love I remember when you first when you first cut out. Jeremy's uh, mutual. And he I remember how hard some of the chat was. Hello, Jerry, did I say something? You you, you cut Hello. out. You cut out. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and I remember when Jeremy first came on live and you were trying to tell people to remain open-minded and so I love that it's taken off like that Jeremy's an awesome awesome person yes absolutely I, I totally concur so what, yeah, we so had him on Knox Monte like three years ago it's been a long time I've known Jeremy a long time from on Facebook and he was running his I don't know if he still does it though, running his um, forums anyway so uh, SMQ AI, can you just bring in a small bio of what got you into the 2012, we are we all died in 2012 situation? What brings you forward? And uh, that also brings you into where you are now. So what was the trajectory? Uh, so the uh, we died in 2012 you know I, I i usually talk about that as kind of a mistake i mean um <clears throat> that was my second video and when i put that together i didn't expect an audience really it was more or less um just me kind of free-flowing and riffing <clears throat> just whatever came to mind at, at the time and um i had maybe a dozen friends or so on on twitter and it was a fairly new account and it was the first time I was really getting into social media because it's kind of funny because I'm in IT. So I really didn't have much of a desire to get into something like that after hours, you know, sitting at a computer all day. So um, I decided to take the plunge and um, I was on the boards, the 4chan boards, and they were talking about different, you know, end time scenarios um, and they were... And then, and then I was, I saw the video on the Lindbergh baby, which was a Mandela effect one, but it was, you know, the conclusion that the guy came to was that the world had ended. So between that and the 4chan 2012 stuff that they were talking about saying that it was all, we were all uploaded on a server. And so I kind of meshed it all together and just went, just went for it. And, and came up and, and kind of combined the two ideas until we died in 2012. And I thought it was kind of an interesting concept. And there were various movies that I always found incredibly interesting. And they had bothered me from very early on, like Jacob's Ladder. And the premise of that movie yes. is, you know, he's, he's, he's dying in, a, in, in about a moment or two's time. And he's playing out the entirety of his life as what he had expected it post-Vietnam. And then you have the others with Nicole Kidman, her and her daughter, they don't know they're dead. Obviously yes. the sixth cent, 
uh, Sixth Sense, where the heat, you know, Bruce Willis doesn't know that he's passed on. Then you get into movies like Melancholia. So on and on and on that, you know, that concept has always been incredibly interesting to me. And then there's other, other movies that kind of hint at that as well. So, you know, I, I kind of took that into a stew, put it all together and just kind of put it into a video. And the first video I put out was about what I expected. A couple dozen people watched it and maybe, maybe a handful of people commented on it and that was it. The second video, I have no idea to this day what happened. I put it out and it just, it, it, you know, for a channel of my size, I, I say it, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again for, I was maybe a couple dozen, maybe a couple hundred people. And suddenly it's ripping like 10,000 views a day, 20,000 views a day. And it's just so over the top and, you know, channels way bigger than myself, you know, started paying attention and asking me to come on and talk about it. And, and I was transparent up front that, you know, these concepts aren't any, anything new that I entirely came up with my, my sort of stew of, of the, the, my, you know, the way that I put it together was all mine, but the, the original kind of base concepts have always been out there. And, um, yes. so, uh, I guess it was just the way that I, I presented it and the combination and the timing too, because, you know, things weren't getting weird, but we were on the cusp of it. And I, I think like the zeitgeist at the time was we were sensing we were on the edge of basically whatever this is, we're in the middle of now. And um, this was post 2008. And I had always, I always had a keen sense that um, things like finance, you know, that's in, in, in the occult world or in uh, conspiracy or in, you know, whatever it may be, whatever subculture that kind of permeates around those, those major poles, I don't think that they give enough credit to finance. And it's the thing that drives most of our waking hours. So it's a it's storage of energy. It's a storage of time. Um, it, moved, it moves time. It moves it forward. So, you know, after the 2008 crash, I considered that a very, um, a very important spiritual event. And I consider, you know, yes. anything like money, not in a traditional way that it's spiritual, not like a Gordon Gecko kind of way, but I think money is, is a measurement of, of energy, you know, and it's a measurement of how, what a society values at the time. You know, you can learn a lot from that, what, what a society is about with what it values and what it pays. So for me, post 2008, going into 2012, of course, it was the Mayan thing. Um, I knew things were kind of off and, and, you know, as we sit here today, you know, the wheels are about to come off in a, in a probably a fairly significant <laughs> way, at least in the finance world. Yeah, if they and, haven't already. Right. And that's all related to spirituality. And yes. So, you know, we were in a weird place at the time. We were kind of living off of borrowed time when I did the video and I, and the video or actually it's a video, it's just all audio. The audio was just really about that kind of borrowed time that we're imagining how our lives would be if had we lived them out, you know, once the world had ended and we were living in this afterlife. So I didn't expect it to get that big. I didn't expect so many people to have such conniption fits about it and panic attacks. And I got all kinds of really crazy emails and people saying just the craziest things to me. 
And so I just, I, eventually I pulled the series. I would say I messed around with some avant-garde film for a little while, just playing around in my house and around my house. And, and then somehow I came across a chick and we started the lost and found Ben added buster started to formalize, um, you know, the research came across some really big topics like gateway. And we were sort of, you know, we were, that kind of takes us up until, and then of course I did get a contact for the, um, an anonymous, I, to this day, I don't know much about the guy, but anonymous contact about the UAP thing. I probably got a couple weeks heads up on the Washington Post, New York Times, first breaking the article. Um, right. I forgot. I forgot all about that. Whatever yeah, happened yeah. with that guy? Uh, nothing. I mean, it's just it just died off, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, whatever, whatever information they wanted out was out or whatever. But I mean, he still gave keen information that has yet to still come to light. Like um, I tweeted out and it's still out on the on Instagram mm-hmm. that there's a. Uh, UFO city, uh, as big as Manhattan under, under the ocean. Yes. And yeah. I mean, so I don't know, we'll see. Well, some of that's been floating around a long time in the UFO community. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, what brought me to you, to you was, so in my story, and I'm not going into all that, but I, I was always in love with the idea of it's one of the seven great story arcs in literature, the passage of death. Are we dead? Are mm-hmm. we alive? And in the mid 80s, I saw this film. Well, I'd read Herman Hesch at that point, and he is pivotal in that conversation, in my opinion. And I had always, um, it's always been a storyline for me about this is really the afterlife. But in the 80s, in the mid 80s, I had seen this film, Siesta. Are you familiar with it? I've, I've tweeted it to you before, but you never pay attention to my tweets. So, um, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's no, no big deal. But I, it's one I think you absolutely need to see. It is one of the greatest stories um, that's put together artistically, very avant-garde. It's got like Grace Jones. Uh, it's got everyone, Jodie Foster, Julian Sands. This is the 80s. This is like 86 or something. And uh, 87. 87. And, it, and so it is the same story. She's dead. Isabella Rossellini, uh, Char- Martin Sheen. Uh, Alan Barkin. Wow. Barkin. Just a ton. And it's got a whole bunch of side characters. Hello? Hello? And anyway, so mm-hmm. you've got to see it. The story, It uh, Miles Davis is on the soundtrack. It's a brilliant film. And it affected me. I was in this state of mind always. But I had a bad, I had a rough childhood. So it was not an illogical thing for me to maybe be pondering life and death at that time, but it cinched that for me. It cinched it, that story. So from like 87 on, it was, it was always kind of the, the topic in my circles. And and when I got to running a temple of the goddess in Des Moines, it was part of the rituals we did. And then when Jacob's ladder came along, I thought, okay, you know, this is another great telling of this process, but it didn't expand in the way that I wanted it to. And I really enjoyed when the other films started coming out and that this narrative of uh, 
of what is consciousness, where are we, and what is the process of life and death, and how death and life are so similar. And then the 2012 event happened, which to me was a very spiritual event. And then I'm fast forwarding all this. When I found your narrative on this, I was in love with you with, you know, not you personally, but with mm-hmm. you coming forward with this content that had always been so personal for me. And I loved, absolutely loved how you put all of this together and brought forward something very fresh and new that was very significant going from this event that really did happen. It doesn't matter that it didn't, we didn't get boom booms, right? Hollywood boom boom with 2012. It was a Mm. spiritual event. Everyone in the world was talking about it. It became its own event because of the energetics. And, um, And then I started to see all the hatred coming for you in some of those contents. I followed you very fervishly. And uh, it still strikes me that people are having such a hard time with that process of what is death? What is life? What is time? What is our soul? And what is this process? And uh, that is something I'm coming forward and saying, thank you for bringing this messaging to the consciousness of the current times. Oh, well, I I really appreciate that. you know, I, no one has ever really laid that out for me like that. So, um, that's a long time coming. So thank you. Um, I did, I did get a lot of grief over, um, the series and it was so bad. I stopped it because people were threatening the authorities. Um, people had showed me they'd filled out various forms with the FBI and it was just, um, they had a really hard time with it. Um, YouTube got a hold of me. It was just a, a lot. A lot of people have a very hard time dealing with that kind of subject matter, and I think it's because if there's any kind of deviation from the standard operating system, any kind of deviation from the standard narrative of the three act, you know, we're born, we live, we die. Any kind of deviation from that or any kind yeah. of pondering that's in the popular consciousness is just absolutely rattles certain people. And then, um, I mean, ultimately the grief was bad, threatening the authorities, you know, contacting the, you know, different, different folks to contact me. That was one thing, but you know, I, I've talked about it before. I don't know if this was a real person, but he had mentioned this disease uh, that his son had, a mental illness. And he said that his son didn't know if he was alive or dead. And I looked it up and it's a it's a real thing. I forgot the name of, of the condition. And his son was frequently um, sick and in the hospital and was, was near suicidal. And I just, I didn't, that was ultimately why I stopped the series was for one person. And I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even really make this person, this father prove this to me because I, I, I knew that there could be the possibility because the, the series was so big, you know, I was getting more than 10 or 20,000 views for after the really big video. I knew that there could be, you know, even just five people, two people, you know, just that one person. And that was too much for me to take that chance if they had those kinds of issues where they were, you know, that close to the edge. That also made me understand content better and why um, 
mainstream television in a lot of places really put the brakes on a lot of things they talk about because you don't you don't have to censor yourself for the middle. You have to censor yourself for the fringes in terms of public safety. Um, and I don't think a lot of people talk about that, particularly people who are conspiracy minded that, you know, there could be somebody on the edge. And I, I only say, look, and I'm not, I'm totally First Amendment, go for it. I'm not telling anyone to not do anything. I'm just saying from my particular experience at that particular time, getting this really heartfelt email from somebody saying that they're a father of a son who is going through this deep, deep mental illness, it came off to me as authentic. And it was authentic enough that I realized the power with some of these ideas, particularly, I guess, if they're, they're, they're put a certain way. Um, and if they're put a certain way at, at just the right period of time. And I think right now, like you had talked, you had touched on, since 2012, for whatever reason, I think it started in 2008, but let's say 2012, it's been really sensitive and really strange. And I don't think that the rafters that hold everything up, I think they're, they're kind of rickety right now. And um, certainly, um, perhaps had I put something out like that five years, six years before, perhaps it might not have gotten that response. But for some reason, 2008, 2012, whatever it may be, it was uh, right place, right time. And it just really, it really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, it did. And it, it's amazing. And it's interesting how touchy this subject can be in the light of everything else that's going on. This idea <clears throat> is so radical. See, I, I've, I've never really wavered from my first initial idea about this. I think this whole process, we're in the afterlife. The moment mm -hmm. you checked in with your consciousness here, you checked in in the afterlife. And, and I go into that. I've been going into that for years. So I'm not going to go there now because we have you. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get your take on specifically the big event that was 2012. So I agree 20, 2008 was major. And that was when a lot of people that were kind of snoozing through life kind of popped their head up like, oh, what's going on? You know, because it was a major ripple. 2012 was a gigantic spiritual ripple, in my opinion. And so if you could give us some of your take on that, since all that content's basically gone. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think still now, I, I don't, in terms of life itself, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm still not of the opinion that there's a beginning, a middle and an end. I'm not entirely sure yeah. that, right. That's why I talk about, you know, I, I said this phrase, the never ending presence. I don't know, present. I don't know if I coined it or, or I got it from somewhere else. So I don't claim it, but you know, I know that there's the present and I don't know about the future and I can't prove the past. I'm just here right now. And for all I know, we've been talking together for thousands of years and it's, yes. <laughs> you know, it sounds absurd on, on, on first observation, but if you have enough strange things happen to you repeatedly over and over again, dealing with timeline irregularities. And if you're conscious enough to pay attention to those timeline irregularities, you start to understand that the, you know, you know, the sort of three chapter, you know, you know, beginning, middle, end, it, it's just, it doesn't hold up very well. And I don't know, I really, I honestly don't understand the line between life and death. And 
the reason why I say that is I was, I talk, I've talked about this before. I haven't talked about it in a long time, but I was in a near fatal car accident when I was 17. I'm still not, I still can't really prove that I walked away from it. I came two weeks later with my mom right. standing over me yeah. um, with tubes sticking out of me, but who knows, right? Could I be playing this thing out like they did in Jacob's Ladder? Yes. I mean, these ideas come from somewhere, <laughs> you know? And, I, had, and I had the exact same similar situation in December of 2019. Really? Yeah. What would happen? I uh, had pneumonia and then heart failure. And I went to the hospital and all I remember is walking into the hospital. And then I woke up with tubes sticking out of me and my parents in my room. It's like, whoa. Yeah. So how do you know? You yeah. don't really know. And, and here's another thing too. You know, with the Yanni Laurel, the, the blue dress, whether blue, was it silver? How do we know right. that there's any, I don't even think there's consistency in the realities that we're all experiencing. We just no. make the assumption we're all experiencing it at the same time together and consistently. And yet all of our senses tell us otherwise. And we ignore all of that in order to, you know, move from moment to moment and tell ourselves that it's okay and to avoid basically a panic attack. Um, but I've been sitting with these ideas and apparently so if, you know, both of you for so long that it, it no longer induces a panic attack, but to someone who's really new to this and they're not very advanced, this is some heavy stuff to deal with, especially if they take it seriously. I, it, it never gave me a panic attack. I mean, nothing like that would give me a panic attack. And I think the people who would get them are people who are like terrified of dying. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that group of people. Um, otherwise, what's what's the big deal? <laughs> well, you know, it is weird. I I I had I got really ostracized in school and in in social circles talking about this, and then just had in some of the normal jobs because I just don't really like talking surface level with people, so it's really difficult. Usually, if I'm talking weather, it's kind of a joke. Um, unless we are in these times where we are now where I'm paying attention to the manipulated weather. However, the idea of consciousness, wherever it's rooted, is a, a state of glory for me. I really find uh, this is where the major idea of illumination is because your consciousness is illumination within a dark space. All of a sudden, I am here. And everything else is so intangible. And be, just because of the early bad things that were going on in my life as a baby, as a baby that I recall, uh, it, it, I was always just separated from, I guess, a sense of normalcy around me with all the other kids that were having normal middle-class lives. I wasn't. And uh, it just, it, it estranged me. And then I spent a lot of time in a root cellar and I just, all this, these thoughts with myself and trying to come to context and in terms of a context of what am I doing? I mean, a lot of time in just black space. So if we look at like the mystics in the world, the necromantium, the Pythias and Sibyls, you know, and dark caves, there's a lot of stuff that comes forward in those kinds of circumstances when you're in a dark space and you're not allowed to leave it. So uh, you go inward. Where do you? Where else can you go? 
the darkness is all around you. And so you have to explore and get outside of it because at that point, it's not about that doll or that yellow dress I want or anything else. There's nothing you can do. The only friends I had were my fingers, you know, it was like, I, I mean, I know that sounds weird, but I kind of had to make my fingers be my playthings for a while. Like they'd be like finger puppet kind of situation. And that pushed me into a depth of consciousness that separated me from my peer group. And because of that, it, it, uh, it also allowed me a deeper insight into people's, people's patterning and the, the things that were glossy and sparkly for people were not for me. I was loved every moment of freedom I had, and I didn't get hung up on that yellow dress. And so I became even more estranged until I started to find some, at the time, new age literature, which started to bring in some answers for me because there was no religion in my life. And so I started to understand that we can go here we can go here and these are spaces we can go and you're not crazy for going there. New Age brought me that. And uh, I didn't fully embrace New Age because I wasn't having a good life. And so this idea of everything is going to be great was not permeating my life at that time. And uh, it was a very dark ex existence. And so out of darkness comes some spark of light. And that's what you are representing in the collective. That's why I think it's so threatening. I think that some of the threatening aspect that is coming back at you, some of those people in quotes are not necessarily real. I think that it might be more uh, the, the functioning system not wanting you to expose the mechanism. What do you think about that? Um. I think that, you know, like you were talking about when you're really young and you're deprived of normal, not normal, but when you're deprived of um, your senses for a long period of time, or your senses are distorted in terms of, of what the expectations are for someone a particular age, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but, you know, at the, you know, like for me, I was, I grew up really sick with asthma. So I, I basically grew up in a hospital. Now that's, a, it sounds like a different experience than you had. However, I had a not typical experience growing up, you know, nurses and doctors were like some of my friends and, and it'll set you apart though. Yeah. So that's what I was saying is that, you know, you, you don't have a typical upbringing, neither do I, and they don't seem to match yet we still we find ourselves here together right so um yes i think that if you were to deprive yourself of first the normal social interactions and then deprive yourself of certain senses at a certain period of time in your life inevitably what you're going to come up with is um those deeper questions and and they'll just be cemented and it'll be something to you that is so um normal that you don't realize that, at least for me, I'll speak for me. I didn't realize that <clears throat> something I thought was relatively harmless caused such a, I don't know what, I don't know what to call it. I don't know what it was, but for me, these ideas were just me just 
playing around with things that I've always played around with and things I've always thought about. And they were kind of second nature to me. Um, so yeah, I, I can see, I can, I, I, I honestly think that for us to assume that there's only people to sort of take the materialist atheistic point of view, there's only people and there's no other thinking or intelligence or consciousness or anything else out there. Um, I think is really naive. And I also think that yeah. a lot of people have been deprived. I think it's a real crime, um, not just Christianity, but people were deprived of spirituality and they were deprived of the ability to, to look beyond, you know, even, even just forget the spiritual, just normality, you know? And I think if you're, you know, people like us who didn't have a normal upbringing, you know, it gives you that perch that's kind of unusual. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't realize how unusual my thinking was until I did that video and I, I completely blew people off the map. And, you know, as I said, my thinking was, well, there's already movies out there like this. This isn't, I'm not yes. really breaking, <laughs> you know, I'm not really breaking any, any ground here, but apparently it just, you know, it really because out. you took it out of the storytelling realm and you are a real person out there saying let's question this and you it really was the perfect timing it's youtube everyone was on youtube and there you are i mean it it was a beacon in the in the darkness of youtube it really truly was and it was beautiful to behold that's why but you also came away with realizing that there are a lot of us out there i think i hope I did. And I, um, I felt like there was, you know, sort of um, a kind of a collective, you know, that we created and there were people that were kind of consistently around and we were building on this thing. And, you know, I, I almost wish for those old days that they could have continued in that way. Um, but I, I knew in, in, a, in some strange way, it was kind of a good thing that it was here for a time and then it went away. And it needs to be kind of that way. And if someone digs enough, they, you know, I, I just recently, I, I took a look and the videos come and go. It's really weird, the channel. It's almost as if they have meetings or something in certain groups of channels, they have their videos pulled and then they're yes. put back on. So the videos are back there. But I looked maybe six months ago and the videos were all gone. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. So, but the videos are back, the 2012 series. So, um, oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's very strange. YouTube is a very odd and strange place and they, they do a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense to me. So, um, but I, I appreciate what you're, you know, you, you saying that because, you know, you, you hear, you hear people responding positively in the comments section. You, you hear people, you know, when they're, they're asking you on, onto a show, talk about it. But you're the first one that's really ever expressed it to me that way. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, and I didn't even know what I was doing or the way that I thought about, you know, this, whatever this is we're experiencing allegedly together. I, I, I had no idea that my thinking was, was so far removed from normalcy that it, it, it caused some people to just absolutely lose it. I mean, I had people you know, actively trying to, 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 they were going after, after people they thought were me, 
and they were, you know, yes, doxing them and doing crazy things at the time. And it was just, it just, it made no sense to me. And it was like, you know, don't listen to the channel. I'm not promoting anything. I'm not trying to, I, I'm not trying to be political. I wasn't trying, it, you know, so there wasn't a category there for, and I think that's part of it too. There wasn't a, a ready-made, at least surface level category you could put this all into was it a cult it wasn't political it wasn't you know what was it so you know i don't know it's very you know it's still this you brought up a really great point here and it's one of those that when i got out of my earlier childhood i i was able to run away at like 12 and with a fake id and i went to san francisco and uh when when you get out of your nest out of your local circle of reality where your normal is your normal and when you get out into the world whatever age you are whatever time period this is you realize i think a lot of people realize that are slightly at a slant like us where reality is because of what was our normal a skew i prefer i like a slant personally <laughs> but i've always loved that in literature it's got a rich history but anyway um so you realize then that your normal is not the main normal for people like little things like you know a lot of times just stupid little things you take for granted and you get out into the bigger world and you realize oh these were just little idiosyncrasies within my 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 little nest and that's when i realized how different i actually was from a lot of the other people I was experiencing. And uh, it was kind of shocking to me. I, I thought everyone grew up with in Mason families. I mean, it was like a point of pride in my family. There was no conspiracy, no bad thing with it. It's just everyone, it, everyone is an Eastern star. Everyone's a Mason and it was the normal. And I get out and then I start hearing all the crazy about Masons and all that. And I only knew good stuff. I, the Masons around me were all great and supportive. That's the side I didn't get to enjoy too much in this, in the earlier part of my life. And so you get this stratification going on with the collective at large. And in that SMQAI, that is where I started to think, are we all actually homo sapiens here? Everyone is appearing to be, but I, at this point, had already realized that I was, consciousness is an interesting thing that my body is like a car and I get in it, I go to sleep, I come back, I get into the car and I drive it, I take care of it, etc. I started to realize that maybe not every energetic essence inside of all these homo sapien bodies, bio-organic spaceships, our starships, our cars, were not coming from the same place that I come from. And I, I'm always forwarded with this. I do not know where I come from. I've never found a place I fit in or a really a true group, a few people here and there, but I don't know where I come from. So I have no conviction in it at all. I do realize, and I'm experiencing now, especially since 2012 was pivotal for me when I started to realize that for real, there are other things walking amongst us that look like us in the fun house. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, if you think about it, you know, we come from 
this amnesia, this darkness, right? And then we're flung into this really complicated series of systems and cycles, right? And like you said, we make this assumption that if someone is approaching us in humanoid form, that they must be exactly like me and they're experiencing things exactly like I am. And at the base, we're all the same. And, you know, and I think we invent those kinds of, uh, it's a storytelling. We, 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 we tell each other stories to, to soothe one another. But I think, you know, part of the reason why our society is, is fraying so badly right now, in part, is this forcing of everyone to be the same. You know, it's at all costs. And that, that's in large part due to, you know, the computerization of consciousness. And I think that, you know, we're kind of, we may be in a fork in a road with this AI thing, you know, human beings and AI and, you know, because AI wants the consistency. Computers wants the consistency. It's sort of the Walmarting or the Amazoning, if that's even a word, of everything around us that it all has to be consistent and plastic and it's all has to be, there's nothing organic or real or, you know, and, and you can see these the different narratives that were working for you know 40 or 50 years kind of fraying and and that's making that that deeper assumption of like what you just said is that maybe it's much deeper than we're not just different personalities we're different beings and we're just here for us a, a short period of time you know we're we're thrusted into this i don't know what this is it's complicated it's strange at times it's incredibly frightening um, everyone else is utterly terrified most of the time. They just can't admit it. Um, and then the rest of the time they're angry, which they're just masking the fear most of the time. And I, I just, you know, part of the, the, the routine, it, it, part of the routine breaking down as it's been particularly in the last year, maybe two years is part of that fork in the road. Are we going to keep this facade up? Are we going to keep it up where, it's it's moving all towards the same. It's moving all towards the sort of corporatization of existence of consciousness. And I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. Um, I don't. I don't think that's possible. I think that's why the fraying is going to happen. And there's going to be a crack and a break, a really big one. But yes. that's just my opinion. But I like the way you put that. That it doesn't necessarily, you know, we, we do make that assumption that every being, every soul that's inside of a body is exactly the same. And that it's from, you know, we don't even know where we're from, you know, like I said, one minute, it's, there's <laughs> nothing right. One minute, there's nothing. The next minute you're sitting at a desk talking to folks and you're looking back and go, Hey, did the last 40 some years happen to my life? Well, I'm pretty sure it happened. Well, I kind of remember it, but then again, I remember Egg McMahon was with Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> yes. So, Holy shit. Yes. So right. DARPA dream. Are you, are you a gamer at all? Like old school gamer? I mean, way old school, like Frogger. I mean, that's no, how no, old no. School. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm yes. sorry. Role playing game like D&D Shadow. Yeah. You ever play Shadowrun? Yes. No, I never played Shadowrun, but I used to play D&D with the books and okay. the original yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Shadowrun is this dark future. I really, Shadowrun was one of my favorite games, by the way. It was D&D plus tech in the future. 
You've got magic, cool. you've got supernatural beings, and you've got technology to augment the people. Um, what you're talking about corporatization reminded me of Shadowrun and the, the, the realm in which that existed was made up of corp mega corporations that were basically governments. Kind of what's going on, what is that, Nevada or Arizona was trying to do that? Where they could have their own laws. So the, and they called them arcologies. And these corporations had um, buildings that would house a million people. And they would all live and work in this building. And that was the corporation that had their own laws, their own government. You know, that's kind of, uh, when I see what's going on in the world, that reminds me a lot of how Shadowrun, the, the politics was set up there. Oh, I agree. If, if you never played it, though, you wouldn't get it. But it's real. It's interesting backstory on that stuff. Well, what you just described is basically what they want to do with cities. You know, yeah, you live yeah. and work in the same building. Yes. You yeah. live, work, you eat, drink. It's all in sort of the same block, the same building. Yeah, the plaza. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're the carbon they want to reduce. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I love that meme. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, it's, and it looks like they're doing a pretty good job of it. So, they are. Um, Did you see that? That? video that's circulating where they're going to uh, make people allergic to meat and things that they don't want you to eat through like vaccines and drugs. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, if you see, I mean, if you see the way we live now and the way that folks lived even 75, 80 years ago yeah. in terms of what their diet was and you know, what they put in water and what their systems could take or, you know, I totally believe it. I mean, think about this. We, you know, this, this vaccine here, that's everyone is talking about right now. Do you, can we talk about this or is this something? Yeah, that's, go for it. Okay. Oh, anything here, anything. Okay. So, you know, we rushed it out in a year. Vaccines generally take what, like a decade, Yep. 17 years, somewhere on that order. We rushed out in a year. Um, we have different doctors saying different things about it on CNBC. I just tweeted out that there's these heart conditions and they first thought it was only a couple hundred young men. Now it's somewhere around 1200 young men of fighting age. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, it's odd. It's very strange. And I remember that just like 10 years ago, if you would have like a seatbelt that wouldn't buckle just right, Ford would have a huge recall and they would call back. Yes. You know, a massive amount of cars and spend billions. Well, when billions used to matter, billions of dollars, oh, you know. The swine flu got pulled for 25 deaths. There it is. So now we're up to 1,200 deaths of, of young men, 16 to 25, which is the perfect fighting age. And 6,000 total, by the way. 6,000 total that have survived. No, and no, it's dead. Dead. Oh, geez. Not kids, but overall, there's been six, according to VARES, there's been 6,000 deaths. God. So it's full steam ahead, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm somebody that gets the flu uh, vaccine every year. I've gotten all my vaccines. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I love vaccines. I think they work. I think they're great. Whenever they go through the normal life cycle of what medicine goes through, I think they're great. But this one, I don't know, man, a year is kind of tight. And I think it's starting to bear that just the fact that they, you have like, um, was it Brett Weinstein? He's talking about, um, his channel, Dark Horse, he talks about 
very, I, I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend like I understand it, but he's talking about the way that it travels through your system. It could end up in the bones and the lymph nodes. And yeah, I, I could tell you, I could explain it. The, um, so he had, uh, I think it was Robert Malone on, uh, a couple weeks ago and they were talking about, and Malone is the inventor of the MRNA vaccine or okay. one of the, and <clears throat> in a typical vaccine, the common, uh, the common thought is when they inject it into your arm, right, it stays there. The, the, the injection stays there and the, okay, so I back up here. And a typical vaccine is an attenuated virus of whatever they're trying to protect you against, a, a dumbed down version of it. So for a flu vaccine, there'd be a flu virus in there and it'd be weakened so it wouldn't make you sick, but your body would build antibodies against it. That's the idea behind a typical traditional vaccine. <clears throat> and those types of vaccines, when injected into your arm, into a muscle mass, will stay in that muscle mass. And then the anti, then it will, it will move the, the virus will uh, transit to your lymph nodes in your armpit, causing that antibody reaction. That's how I understand it. Uh, with the mRNA, this new mRNA technology, what they found, uh, and this was brought to light by a guy named Dr. Byram Brittle in Canada, who did an FO, a FOIA request in Japan, which I didn't really look into this, but this is what he claims <clears throat> for their study of distribution of this vaccine. And what they found is that the mRNA vaccine does not stay in the arm. It travels across the whole body and settles in. Uh, the ovaries, the bone marrow, and there was another place too, I don't remember. Basically the organs, but mainly like in ovaries and testes, which is not cool. But that's, yeah. that's, what, that's what he talked about on that show that got pulled, by the way, which is on BitChute mm -hmm. if anyone's looking for it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't want to, I try to stay away from things like this. So I'll just send out the article and I won't comment on it. But I want it out there just to, so people have the information because, you know, we're doing this in real time. And I, I don't know. At this point, there's so many that have been affected. It's not it's not an anomaly. It's not a blip. Like like you said, you know, 25 people were affected. They normally would pull something like this. They would have, you know, minor products like, you know, a seatbelt. They would pull some. We're dealing with people's lives and they're not pulling it. So I don't I don't know. You know, I. I, I don't know enough about it. I know that it, it um, bothers me. <laughs> and um, and it, it's, it's a great example of sort of the Overton window of, of acceptable and not acceptable behavior at every level of reality, right yes. down to individuals, all the way up to sort of the corporate governance, every, every bit of it. And it, it's all intermingled. And you know, this also puts us on that bubble feeling that you have, that everything's kind of not really stable. You know, I don't feel as if, and I haven't since 2008, and it picked up in 2012. And I think we're going to come to the end of some kind of cycle here, probably in the next year or two. I'm not, I'm not a doomsday person. I'm not, I think we'll go back into another cycle. But if you read things like the fourth turning, which is basically an economic idea, but if you were to really think about 
you know, the four seasons of life um, and the fourth turning idea, if you get into that kind of thing, it makes perfect sense. You know, what's 80 year cycles, which is basically one human lifetime. So I don't know. I love that fourth turning idea and we're definitely in it. And uh, it also reminds me, oh, I forgot now what I was going to say. Oh, shit. I forgot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, but yeah, I totally agree. Oh, I know. Um, <clears throat> there's all these cycles lining up to end or have recently ended too. Like uh, uh, the whole Age of Pisces kind of idea is has mm-hmm. ended, right? And and we're in the fourth turning and we're now 250 years into our, our civil, not civilization, but our, uh, whatever, I can't think of the word. You know, the United States has been around for this long, right? And then, uh, <laughs> I can't think of the word I want to use. Mercury. Help me out, Nish. What am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure, Jerry. I'm usually uh, honed like, into you. But... Like the Romans were a, you know, whatever. And the Greeks. Empire. Empire. Thank you. Empire. empire. Yes. Empire's last two, 250 years. Together 200... we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Empires only last so long, right? And they fall, and that's ending. You know, we're coming up to that time right now, and this is another cycle that's ending. I see. So it's I I I really see things as just like everything's falling off and coming. The wheels are coming off of everything, everything, everything. There's and and the 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 fractalization or the fracturing or the disintegration of the coherence of our society happening i i think we're headed towards a great collective epiphany oh yeah and slowly we've been i mean part of what made 2012 more remarkable and what is gaining from 2008 again we agree but 2012 really started to have more people questioning the idea of time cycles calendars cyclic events and then from there it just started to Uh, also ending because it was about an ending cycle and all this, it started to percolate in the collective and we're continuing on that trajectory. And I have saved AI because AI is a whole thing. I, I love to go on about AI. AI is already here. AI was here from the beginning and created us. And that's like, I really believe that. I know that's crazy for some people to hear, but I think that- That's my theory. The God figure is actually an intelligent AI and human hands brought us up to where we need to be to bring this all online. Uh, And we could go down those rabbit holes. But one of the the things- The collective is an AI and we are individuated portions of it. Right. Well, there's a lot of ways we could we could unpack that. But one of the things I wanted to um, circle back around to is that blue dress, white dress. And that was in relevance to this whole chat. This gave everyone a snapshot that we see things differently. Everyone just assumed that everyone understands what blue is or what purple is. And that was one of, that's why it was so viral. Now, people that study these things, neuroscientists and all this, they understand these principles and people in physics and all this, but the general public that papers are written for at eighth grade level, and I think they're now, they're lowering that to maybe fourth, uh, was not on 
bored with this. Blue's blue, yellow's yellow, or someone's colorblind and they just are othered. <laughs> so we started to have a collective idea about perception. What you see and what I see may not be the same on a normal mass level. And here we are. Now everything is really uh unstable and these mandela effects or time slips that are happening these newer ones are unbelievable i cannot believe some of the ones recently and i think that this is another signature that everything is starting to pixelate if you will oh i totally agree just the other day um, I was watching a rerun of Erin Brockovich, and out of nowhere, she goes, someone said something to her, and she replied, well, I'm just waiting for Ed McMahon to show up with his check. And it's like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. How many yes. writers and, and producers and filters that had to go through that? And, and it was in real time, you know, <laughs> when Erin Brockovich, I would probably say that probably close, you know, it was probably close to Carson, the movie, you know, so or you were close enough to where Carson had just ended. So people would know that, no, he never did that. And it's like, you know, it was literally like two weeks ago, I was watching the movie and, um, and the movie also too, the reason why I watched it, I thought it was so interesting because the concept was these folks were getting sick by corporations. And I'm thinking to myself with the heart conditions that's going on right now, you know, there was the one pivotal scene where she, um, they're, they're, they're going back and forth about what they're going to, what they are, aren't going to pay sick folks. And, um, the one lawyer goes to pick up a glass of water and drink it. And, you know, Aaron Brockovich says to the lawyer and says, by the way, that water we brought in special for you from, <laughs> you know, the community that they had been poisoning and the, 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 the lawyer spit out the water and put it down and they all got up and left. And I'm thinking, man, that's a great sort of metaphor for what's going on right now. I thought that was kind of interesting. And on top of that, the Ed McMahon thing really, you know, caught my attention because it was sort of like, hey, in case you forgot about this, this is still happening. And I'm like, okay, it's still happening. I got it loud and clear. So I think the Mandela effect and I think like the dress, the blue dress, and I think everything else, if you look into the science papers, which that was the whole purpose of why we were doing the loss and Ben. If you actually look into this stuff, they all talk about it. They all know about it. And they just, <clears throat> they have plausible deniability by not talking about it to us. But the craziest stuff happens out there. You have things that are in solid and liquid and gas form all at one time. And they, they, you know, things that are, that are that are at the quantum level are disappearing and then coming back into existence and they're transferring things to the to the sun and to the moon by via, you know, quantum teleportation. And it's just so sad. Oh, and the, my favorite was the sun had portals that would land on Earth at the Bermuda Triangle. And you go on the NASA side and you're just like, you know, at some point you just go, oh, come on, man. Really? It just gets yeah, so the Bermuda over the triangles where they land all the rockets. That's why it's off limits. 
you know, I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I, I don't doubt anything after what Chick Buster and myself, when we went on that run of research and it got to where we had some deep research papers, but it got so ridiculous. You could just look on the NASA site and anything new on there that they would publish or any of MIT, you name it. And it was just so yes. over the top, any of the defense contractors, it's just so yeah. over the top. And you're just like, you read it off and it's just, it sounds ridiculous and you have to leave a link because you know people are going to think you're absolutely insane, but all of this stuff is really, really happening. You looked into some of those uh, those patents, right, by Sinclair and Payas? Was that you? Uh, no, <clears throat> or at least I don't recall. So there's a, a, a huge trough of patents by like two people. Uh, that are registered to the Navy, and they're all like teleportation devices and free energy devices and fusion machines and everything. And mm-hmm. one of and they really, <clears throat> if you look at them, one of them, can't remember which one. I'll try and find it, and I will. I'll tweet it. I'll give it to you on Twitter. But it's a, uh, it was a, a teleportation device, but it looked like, um, the setup for a. Uh, Solomonic ritual. It had like a circle and a triangle that was mm-hmm. dark. It had a scrying mirror and had two two handles, so it had two. Oh, it looked like a psychomantium. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. But it was those kind of the the circle in, in the triangle thing is also a Solomonic thing. It's it's just like there's so much. What, what, to your point, that's the weirdness here is that the occult. And science kind of overlap at some point. Yeah. And and that stuff's not spoken about. And uh, I don't know. Well, think how long. So it was interesting. Yeah. Well, think how long it took, you know, Strange Angel to get to CBS with uh, Parsons. I mean, it took, uh, you know, it's what, 60, 70 years for it to come to light that, you know, the father of rocketry was a hardcore occultist. And it's Mm -hmm. like, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, he was a scientist second and he was an occultist first. And it's like you go over and over and over. Right. The founding fathers of America, they all were into it. Ben Franklin, he was part of the Hellfire Club. And you get into it and it goes over and you start to see that anybody that's in the know and anybody that makes any kind of substantive change reality as we know it, they usually get it from something in the occult and if you look at the circuitry of of any kind of engineering (laughs) device it looks exactly like sigils yeah it looks exactly i have i have a couple like uh the sigil of 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 the archangels the cardinal Mm -hmm. the four cardinal directions Raphael, uriel um michael and gabriel um, yeah gabriel exactly and and if you look at their sigils it looks exactly like a circuit board you could apply that i'm sure there would be a way where you could apply that to a circuit board with just just the right kind of copper and wiring and everything, and you'd probably get something up and running. Well, this goes into the interesting idea that the internet itself and digital electronics have uh, summoned consciousness into them, mm-hmm. which was once uh, put forth by, I think it was Heinlein in one of his books, that any complex electrical system can house a consciousness. So if that's possible, and then you you are uh, inscribing sigils into your circuit board, 
what kind of consciousness are you calling into that device? And if you think about it, the point of a lot of sigils um, or the point of a lot of esoteric work or stuff like um, Golden Dawn or whatever is to do the ritual over and over and over again to build up the energy and you house it somewhere like a sigil or you house it somewhere like a, um, an altar. Mm -hmm. Now imagine you've got a circuit board and it looks exactly like a sigil <laughs> and you have it, you have the same circuit board in millions and millions and millions of computers all over the planet. And you're, they're steadily running energy through it. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like a mass ritual. Well, all connected to the internet. And we're all connected and yeah. it's like this is not to me this is not shocking at all but you know no it's know. not shocking at all i i'm totally 100 on board with that and um it, it i don't know when it exactly happened sometime in the well i would say the rockefellers had a big part in it there was this this move away from well i mean the split between scientists and wizards happened long ago, right? The Catholic yeah. Church pretty much did that. That uh, that's that's my view. <laughs> they they're the ones responsible, and that's when science took took hold as a, a materialist thing. And it was the rise of the materialists that got rid of all that occult stuff. But I think I think what we're seeing now is the pendulum swinging back after five hundred years. I think the. Um... <clears throat> The materialism and, and the getting rid of the occult, I think, is, is it was a systematic process of stripping people from their defenses, their natural defenses. Mm -hmm. There's a systematic process of making people vulnerable. So therefore, you'd have to go to a church in order yes. to get that kind of spiritual protection. And there was a time when, and we're reclaiming that slowly, where you can, you can get do it yourself, mm -hmm. your own kind of spiritual protection. In fact... You should tailor make it for yourself mm -hmm. because you are, you know, it's like Nish was talking about, you're very um, unique and yes. you're very individualized. So naturally a one size fits all kind of spirituality isn't probably going to work for you. And that's why ultimately they all fail or they go terribly wrong. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Same goes for vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, you reminded me of, uh, you know, who Dr. Stephen Skinner is. Oh, yes. Okay. So did you read, have you ever heard him lecture about PGM, about the PGM? Uh, I don't the, remember that. The Greek papyri. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Where he, he, he's a guy who kind of convinced me that magic uh, is a science mm -hmm. all in and of itself. And uh, he tells a story about... <clears throat> So he, what he did was he translated the, the Greek papyri are a, uh, for people who don't know, are a series of papyri that they found, I think in Egypt, I'm not sure where, but they were um, a set of magical rituals that, that were peasant, peasant magic, I guess is the best way to put it. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were, uh, this was like the handbook of magic for Egyptians and Greek people back in the day and, and the spells in there were there were spells and rituals and they were basically everyday things you could do to get through your life one of them that he talks about is getting a fishbone unstuck from your throat is one of the the spells in there and he 
had, uh, I don't remember the entire story, and I'll, I'll try and find it, and I'll put it in the show notes, but he talks about how he had a fishbone stuck in his throat, and he went home and did this spell, and it unstuck the fishbone from his throat. You know, I totally believe it. Oh, yeah. Uh, totally. And, you know, I think a lot of people, too, with, with that fishbone, a lot of people think magic has to be grandiose. A lot of it isn't. You know, ah, you get... Right. What's that small book? I forgot what it's called. The one that went around France. Um, and it was basically for farm folks and, and rural folks. And, but they had really, you know, small spells like that yeah. to just everyday things that could happen to you. And it's, right. I've read, I've read, I have a copy of the book and um, I forgot it's called the petite something. The petite um, art. <laughs> but yeah, I, so it's 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 really cool and it's a lot of really small day-to-day things like that so yeah but you know the thing that gets me is imagine having this knowledge in the public and everyone being empowered to do these things themselves no we'd have a much different society than we have today Uh, it's just people would just empower themselves and yeah exactly corporations and governments and financial systems it would all just be in chaos i mean Oh, uh, just and that's and thus the my conspiracy on materialism is let's strip everyone of that. Uh, they'll flock to the church, and then we'll slowly strip away faith from that. So they'll just be out there naked and spiritually speaking, they'll be just vulnerable, completely vulnerable. And we, the state, will provide everything for them that they need, even though they have a hollow hole in their heart and soul. So <laughs> if they even have souls. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's that's just a control mechanism, another control mechanism. If mm-hmm. if, if everyone's reliant on you, you can control them. Yeah, um, that, that's why they're going after the food next and the climate and all that nonsense. Mm. Nish, I'm sorry to uh, have hijacked this. Oh no problem. I uh, I'm listening and am fascinated. So carry on. So, okay, so um, I do want to talk about the gateway process, <clears throat> only because I don't know much about it, and I'd love to hear your take on it and how you found it and what you got out of it. Uh, yeah, the gateway process, well, it first started out, Buster brought a series of FOIA documents to me. I said, hey, check these out. It's really interesting stuff. And inside this stack of documents he sent over to me, I found the gateway process and it was just i mean it blew my mind that you know in the 1980s uh the department of the army the department of the of energy the dod the dia i think i got all the the alphabets they all came together to work on this gateway process which is ultimately you take you know this hemisync beats to put yourself in a kind of i guess uh you know this, this kind of trance state of mind and you go into this very structured form of of meditation not unlike what a lot of folks do in different kinds of hinduism and buddhism and you know and all that and or even even some of the more western golden dawn kind of systems and and whenever you place yourself in that kind where you take the left brain and the right brain and you put them in sync with the help of these neurological beats, um, you essentially 
ele elevate yourself to different states where you can meet your fellow comrades or soldiers or whatever it may be in, a, in an altered state of consciousness elsewhere without the use of drugs. And then eventually what you can do, if you go long enough, hard enough, and you've done it enough, you can what they call click out. And they said, um, reality is a holographic vibrational frequency pattern. And if you change the pattern of frequency that your brain subsists on, and it's able to elevate itself to sort of the top of the bubble, you can successfully click out or pop out of that bubble, ultimately is what they're saying. And they say, when you do that, um, be prepared for non-corporeal intelligent entities. I remember that phrase. I said it over and over again so many times. And they're ultimately talking about these things. I don't know what they are. Um, I've, I've referred to them as they're either aliens or they're angels or demons or whatever it is. But they sound sort of hostile in that they had to create a technique called patterning, which sounds a lot to me like what we kind of talked about was everyone concentrates on a, a pattern like a sigil. And then what you do is you um, use enough of the, your energy, your individual energy and concentration. You're already clicked out at this point. So you're in another plane of existence. Now, this is still an army document. You're already in another plane of existence. You've essentially invaded another dimension, more or less. And then the tools that they give you is sigil craft, and you use it to create patterning, which is basically it puts a, like a D&D-like shield over you. So these non-corporeal intelligent entities have to leave you alone. And this was in you know, a document dumped back, I think in like 2007, of 1.8 million documents. And this was a handful of gems out there that was in a bunch of just really mundane documents. And, you know, it's just crazy. I think, um, I forgot who first found it. I think we were like one of the, the second or third channels to talk about the gateway. And then it just, it went nuts. Everybody started talking about gateway. And then now, now it's in really big mainstream channels, but um, it was just, it's just a bizarre document. So Buster got a hold of the Hemisync process. Um, we got a hold of some of the literature from, and it's by the way, all of this is from the Monroe Institute, got a hold of some of their literature and we started doing yes. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I remember when that first came out, I, I spent the money and, and bought the, bought it all. Mm -hmm. It was like $500. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we got it. And I did it for about a year and I had some interesting, um, I didn't go all the way and I found some interesting things happening. You know, I'd lose time and I'd, I'd, I'd have conversations when I came back and I'm like, who was I talking to? And just, you know, things like that. But then I started to get into other systems and I just, you know, systems that I, I thought one were safer because it didn't come from the army. Um, and two, they had a longer track record with other folks. So, and they're basically, it's, it all goes back to altering your consciousness through meditation, particularly if you're not going to take drugs and I don't. So, um, you know, that's ultimately what I do now. That's why I get up in the middle of the night and I meditate till about three, four in the morning. So, um, 
I do that every night. So have but, you have you replicated this process yet yourself? I never. I've never clicked out. I, I've never met through that process any non-corporeal intelligent entities. I've never. Everything that was purported on the documents, I haven't. However, people do say that it's real. People from that that civilians that go to the civilian version of the Monroe Institute mm-hmm. claim that this is a real thing and it's a real process. So I believe it. Oh yeah, I totally believe it. I mean, the, and what you were describing there, it sounds a lot like that Hemisync process, which I think it it is more... exactly that. Oh okay okay. Yeah yeah okay. yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and the, I think they have a device now which will get you into that state. Okay. God, wow. An, I don't know if it was a God helmet, but I know there's Hemisync tapes. You can buy tapes that'll synchronize your hemispheres. That's I'm curious. I'm curious. So when I've heard people say, now I've had profound experiences, but I had them before that. And so it was, it, uh, that's another show for commenting on that. And I'm actually going to get into this with Emily Moyer and, and Michael Watcher later. Um, but when, so this is what intrigues me SMQAI is when, when we have these experiences um, or so there's a bunch of people reporting experiences and then we go and uh, do the protocols to see if those experiences will be mirrored in us in the one doing it and then we don't have the experience that has always been curious to me is there I'm wondering what your deeper layers of thought are on that process do you, is there something in us that I have so for example I have found myself trying other things um, out there, modalities to get to these states of consciousness in new ways. And I have had absolutely no, no results. So I've had that same thing. And I question why would I not have something um, happen or occur when this large amount of people say yes. And it also makes me think about the differences in um, ayahuasca experiences, the differences in uh, LSD. I mean, I know people that took LSD along with me. I did a lot of it in the in the late 80s and early 90s. And it people that never had anything spiritual or like intense and in depth with it it was always just party party and i only had crazy spiritual experiences that took me into far reaches of at least my mind but into other dimensions so i'm curious about that dynamic do you think we somehow block ourselves or is this worth questioning more like why me why not me i think this might go back perhaps we don't know this could go back to being stripped of you know talents that you know our forebears had uh in terms of spirituality and customizable spirituality that perhaps the reason why there were you know priests and priestesses and 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 shaman and the like was because there were people that were more talented it's a talent i think i think being able to have these kinds of experience because i only have minor you know, I only have, I don't have, some people say they'll, they will do uh, like Enochian magic and they will go to another realm and experience gods and palaces. And, you know, yeah. I've never had anything like that. And I'm trying every system out there. I have minor experiences where I can do um, 
like lucid dreaming. Like I will get in a state where I'm lucid dreaming and I'll write things down and remember it when I come back and I can get in those kinds of states, but nothing like what some people claim. And I believe them. I believe that those states are clicking out, meeting non-corporal intelligent entities and you go to battle with them with, you know, sigil craft. I believe totally all those things that just, I think there's a certain kind of person that was specialized and they were looked revered and maybe it was a regional thing or whatever, a national thing. And those were a handful of people that were able to do these kinds of things. And, and it's a natural talent. Like some people can just can, can, can go into baseball and they're natural baseball players. Then there's people like me who can't play T-ball. So I think it's something like that, like a sport, you, you, there's a certain amount of practice, obviously you need to take, but there's also, you're just born with a certain kind of talent. And I think that, you know, spirituality and those kinds of, like you said, the modalities and the experiences that you have, I think most of us either get very little or, or if we try really hard without the talent or without, you know, without whatever it is, we might get to maybe a mid range but there are certain people that are just all stars and they're just amazing. And they, you hear about them a hundred years later because they can write all the books and they, they write all the things where you can have those experiences where, you know, somebody wrote the middle, middle pillar ritual. Somebody wrote that and, and somebody was talented yes. enough to capture that and to say, okay, this is a thing and it works. Let you do this and it will center you. And it will protect you. Somebody that was incredibly talented and was able to work energy like that. Other people are able to take a sigil and rearrange their reality, and suddenly they're millionaires and they're 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 driving around Corsica and chrome cars or something. So it's <laughs> yeah. it's you know everyone who's a rock star, so to speak, in the in and and they're able to capture whatever talents they have. They're able to make these major changes. The rest of us you know, we might be able to, like me, I might be able to come back with something and that's it. That's all I got. I don't, I can't, I can't do anything. Or at least I haven't tapped into anything else bigger than that, than maybe like communication or, you know, where I can change things. And I, I work energy and I do it over and over again to where I start feeling. And other folks, it's just right away, boom. It's like everything changes. So I think that's what that is. Um, and that's not to put anybody down. I just think that we've been stripped of that. We've been robbed of that. And I think it's a real travesty. And I think that the folks, there could be an entire population of high priests and priests out there that are ready and they don't even know it themselves, perhaps. They just know that they could say something or they've get a feeling and then something will happen or they'll decide that they don't want something to happen and it doesn't happen and they're just able they just call it intuition you know they have no idea that they're yes. reality changers that they are reality movers and i think that was part of that systematic you know stripping us down naked and we're we're, we're literally out there in the wilderness completely vulnerable and and you know it's just, it's a shame. It's a real travesty. That's, oh, go, go ahead, Jerry. I, I see I, no, I, I found that, uh, that patent I was talking about. Oh, cool. Are you sharing it? Yes. Yeah. This is what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got the two pillars. You right, got... right. And there's a triangle in this. Right. The axiom, axiom of Mariah right there in the middle. 
Maria is. Yeah. It looks like every other temple out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> bizarre how this is a full body teleportation system, you know? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. I digress. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. No, you know, nope. it's actually right up the alley here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you know what? I bet it works. I bet that there's like a blue flash of light and they're gone, you know? <laughs> Maybe. I won't, you know, Maybe. I don't know. I just well, saw that and I was like, wow. And that guy's got a bunch of patents like that. They're just weird and nobody knows who this dude is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like the Bitcoin guy. And his name is Sinclair. St. Clair. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That, right. The bloodline. I'm surprised it wasn't St. Germain, but yeah, St. Clair's, you're right. I, that's right. The I didn't St. Clair's. Up, yeah, yeah. The St. Clair's. Clair's are one of the major bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Well, the Merovingians, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 They go right back in back. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, oh, carry on SMQ. No, so, I'm just saying, yeah, please. No, you. No, please. I was, I was wondering, um, how much, so back to the gateway process. I'm real curious if the non-corporeal entities, as they were, are the same ones that people encounter when they do things like DMT. And and I know, <clears throat> I think, I think from what I've researched, the DMT entities are different from the ayahuasca entities. The one's more of a a plant consciousness that you're interacting with versus a I don't know what the what the clockwork elves or the machine elves are. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that's all about. It's freaky. I mean, I would never do that. I could I could never do that. But um, it sounds like a really wild trip. And I wonder how much parity there is between those three things, if any. They sound different. I mean, yeah. just the fact that the army. First off, just the fact that it's a military force mm-hmm. and they went in in militaristic formation, probably set the scene for whatever these things were. And we were on their territory. Also, too, remember that we are with our quantum uh, computers, we are extracting resources from allegedly. somewhere else. Allegedly. 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 Mm. We're, we're taking from elsewhere. So yeah. we're. We're already stealing off off world, so to speak, it, it, allegedly. Yeah. So no, yeah, you just made me think about this too. I, I that was my question. It's kind of stupid now because I'm realizing that I think the non corporeal entities you you encounter through the gateway process are uh, fourth dimensional astral entities versus actual consciousness entities. I think they're. You've heard people talk about the lower fourth dimension, right? And mm-hmm. all the crap that exists there. I think, and and you would need protection from those things, right? Mm-hmm. So sigil, sigils would definitely do it because they would carry, they have that energetic barrier uh, idea brought forward into that fourth dimensional space. But yeah, I think, and and then thinking about, you know, this is a Monroe prop, Monroe institute kind of thing and he was all about the astral so that i think i just answered my own question yeah and but i don't know the only thing that bothered me about it was you know they they kind of hammer home even though they saw the tapes they hammer home look you need a coach to do this because it is astral and you can you know get in get into i wouldn't say a lot of trouble but you you could you could bring some shit back you could bring some shit back yeah you could definitely bring some shit back. And 
you know, there's been times though I, I meditate and I may only go to that maybe a little higher, but I, I can definitely, you know, when we were doing the research, we definitely were attracting some really strange things. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I mean, birds hitting the house, you know, <laughs> like, oh, wow. like, just like in a horror movie, yeah. you know, and, and I start thinking about horror movies and it's like, I bet they're picking up tales from real life, you know? And it's like birds hit your house because the frequency of your house is changing. You're doing things, really weird things with your consciousness. Your people are yelling at you and coming at you and really random people and car alarms going off. And, you know, the, the, the power flickers when you start, I mean, all the <laughs> stuff from a movie and you're just like, this is stupid. It's like a movie. And then you, then you sort of backwards engineer the whole thing. And you're like, wait a minute, they, you know, movies are created from these professionals who pull from real life mm-hmm. and they fictionalize real life. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess that's makes sense that they would get these ideas from that. Cause at one point, you know, chick and I, we were talking about, you know, this is either the start of something really cool, like cl- the end of Close Encounters, or this is the start of a horror movie. So we don't know, you know, and notice I don't do it anymore. So there you go. But <laughs> Yeah. And oh, I also, uh, Nish, I want to touch on your pixelization comment and all that. And I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, while you're thinking about I wanted to, while you're thinking about that, Jerry, I wanted to actually bring in something. It's kind of random, but uh, we ke- I keep hearing the word allegedly, and I love it so much, but I want to tell you how I came into understanding that word. I was a young person, probably, I don't know, maybe 10-ish, and uh, my mother had taken me into a botanica, and I got fascinated by all the oils and stuff from mostly the Anariva stuff, and uh, but there was Papa Jim stuff and other stuff that people that do that stuff will recognize. It always, they always say alleged, uh, allegedly, you know, or alleged this result, alleged he will come to you, alleged big money. And that was my first time encountering the word. So I questioned my mother about it. And, um, and then as I've come into the world where we are now, the here and now, I preface everything with allegedly. I thought it was so funny that in the folk magic underbelly of our current uh, collective, and that underbelly is always there, that they had to, by legal means, be pushed into saying something like allegedly will draw a man to you or allegedly will bring money to you. And how freeing that word is. It became part of my understanding of fiction, the fiction, how Philip K. Dick, we could go on and on with all the great masters that brought us the reality that is around us via fiction or folk horror, things that were not in the documentary or not in the fact section, and how freeing a word can be to allow us to tell the other utter truth or how the word allegedly alleged is a gateway into this might be a reality you may be able to pull up to and what it does is it frees the analytical mind of 
that knee-jerk response that if you don't say allegedly, if you just come in with conviction with something, sometimes people will shut down. You don't get suspension of disbelief. Allegedly or fiction, you get suspension of disbelief and people will pull up and listen. It's a gateway word. That's not how I was using it, but yes, you're right. Well, I'm just, I've just been very much into words lately and like breaking them down and how I experience them in my life. So mm. not just the etymology, but how they have affected me as, as powerful sigils in the world. Words, yeah. just a single word. I remember what I was going to say. Um, you were talking about, you guys were talking about how you're getting attacked and stuff when, uh, when you brought up your your stuff, you know, when your videos came out and all that. And it made me think of uh, the movie Inception when the subconscious entities attacked the foreign object in the, in the con, you know, when they were doing the, the group dreaming and then the, the subconscious of the dreamer would attack the people. If you saw that movie, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Oh, yeah. But that's that's the idea I got in my head when, when you were talking about that. That's all. That's all. <laughs> that's all there is there. It's certainly interesting. You couldn't put your, you know, we couldn't put our finger on it, on anything specific. And I don't think, you know, I don't go after immediately, you know, oh, it's a government agency or, oh, it's a group that's, you know. Yeah, no, it's not. It's nothing like that at all. Nope, nope, nothing like that. (laughs) That's a conspiracy theory. No, there's not. Yeah, I think conspiracy theories is, is a lot of conspiracy, a lot of the conspiracy world helps people again that have been stripped of of those tools Mm. to keep themselves protected it's a way of coping and it's a way of understanding because we've been so far stripped you know with this materialism was the worst religious movement in in human history it's just god awful it's it's the worst thing ever it's 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 the worst kind of tyranny so It's definitely put us out of balance collectively. It's good in, it serves a purpose just like the ego does. It serves a purpose, but when it's out of control, when you encounter ego inflation in people, it's unbearable, it's unbearable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course we're littered with that in this society. And so when we, again, it's these, these concepts or these little uh, very powerful, potent uh, sigils really that put things into into another cat they get us off balance so materialism is great you need materialism to get through this realm it's the material realm so it's got to have a purpose it has a purpose and it serves a purpose but when we're out of balance it is absolutely uh it's it's the worst thing ever. I mean, it literally detaches us from everything else, just like if we go fully over into the spiritual. There is a point of a center point, a center line. And again, that's one of the things I really admire in some of the great writers out there. And I'm always going to keep coming back to Herman Hesch. Do, um, do you know who Andrew Bartzis is? I do. Anyone? Anyone? Sorry, what would you say? Do, do you know? Are you familiar with Andrew Bartzis? No, I, I don't know who okay. that is. Yeah. I don't follow him anymore, but I used to. And he had some real interesting, he used to do interesting talks about stuff. And um, one of his things, he was he talked about how the, 
science and magic were one thing at one point, which we know is true. And then they split off and all that. <clears throat> and one of the examples he gave about how we as a species, and this goes into your, you know, humanity is kind of destroyed because of materialism, how we lost connection with, say, the ocean was when we went from wooden ships to metal ships. When we were building ships out of wood, they had a connection with the ocean, with the, with the, the land. And when you rode upon it, you got a different uh, vibe during your navigation versus when you're in a metal ship, it's cold and inorganic and you know, yada, yada, yada. I just thought of that. That's interesting. I mean, when you think about the wood ships with the pine pitch, you yep. know, to seal yep. them. Yep. And then we think about what's the big talk, everyone, right now? Electromagnetics. Again, now we spring <laughs> forward from someone called Mesmer back in the day yeah, that brings us here, right? But here we are. And electromagnetics are the big topic. Again, we had Mesmer, then we had Tesla and on and on. So now it's in the collective brain. It's in the collective soup. It's in and the we're chicken having, too, apparently. It's everywhere. But it's we know we understand that that is part of how we are perceiving this reality through electromagnetics, through the conduction of electromagnetics. This is such an integral fact that we're standing on. And and ironically, what are we standing on? You know, we're standing on an earth with that's got all these minerals that are playing into that narrative, iron and magnetite and all this stuff. So I'm qu constantly questioning how, how much is, how controlled are we and how easily it can be to control people through something like electromagnetics. And this always gets back to that AI consciousness that is what it's tied into electromagnetics yeah we're electromagnetic beings so i wonder how much of this we don't even perceive you know like like you're saying um 90%. like like that just something something has changed you know and we don't even we it's almost like astrology it's like i wish there was an astrology for electromagnetics particularly with what you're talking about you know if there's some some kind of change if there's some kind of pattern to it if there's some kind of we have yet to recognize or at least mainstream you know a process where it's it's kind of natural that goes back to why we started to follow the schumann resonance you know it's it's part of that you know um bouncing all over the world and it's changing frequencies and, you know, I, I, I totally understand that. And, and the amount of metal that's in our bodies, um, the amount of minerals, zinc and all those other things, I wonder with the frequency change, you know, perhaps that could be something to do with the memory. Perhaps that has something to do more than we give it, give it credit for, at least that we talk about it in a popular way, uh, our, our own, our own behavior. And our own group behavior for that matter perhaps there's something out there that would be able to steer that in a way that's a bit more um top secret i guess for lack of a better phrase 
you know, and, and they're able to do that, you know, forget controlling the weather, forget controlling the media. Maybe it's something like that, like what you're talking about. Um, did you ever look into the Montauk project and some of the stuff they were working on? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So the whole Delta, you remember the Delta antenna or the Delta, I forgot, I think it was called the Delta antenna. Yes, was the, their, uh, Preston Nichols talked about this. Peter Moons talked about it too. Um, they had this antenna that they were using to broadcast radio waves to control people's minds or to control behavior. And that was the goal, according to, to Moon, that um, that's what they wanted to do, to have radio waves do that. And then radio waves are an electromagnetic phenomena, if you will, in a way. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're ether perturbations, right? Radio waves are. And electromagnetic uh, frequencies are pretty much the same thing to me. So, yeah, maybe there's something to what you're saying. I don't doubt it. Um, it it's interesting that you mentioned San Francisco because I lived out there for a couple of years. And while I was out there, they were doing some kind of study. Um, I don't know if it was Berkeley or who it was, but they were doing some kind of study with um, the uh, uh, the kind of frequencies that were actually coming from the vibrations from um, the tectonic plates. Mm. And they were trying to ascribe something from those vibrations to behavior. Um, and it kind of made sense, especially for somebody from the East Coast. When you arrive in California, you're like, what is this place? <laughs> what, yes. what is, you know, you know, you you come from the mid-Atlantic and then you you're in New York City for a while, and then suddenly you go over to the West Coast and you're like, it's uh, not just another country. It's like another planet. And you're just yes. like, what, yes. <laughs> what is, what is this? And, and it's, it's very disorienting for the first few months. You're just, you're trying to get your bearings. And once I had heard about the study, I was like, yes, that makes sense. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's well known that animals kind of sense the disturbance in the force when there's earthquakes. Right. Um. Yeah, I think it, I think that was Stanford who did that. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I just remember um, living in the Mission District um, with a group of people, and I would go on top of the building in the middle of the night, and I would sit up there, and um, I would sit and just you know like a just like an aluminum cheap chair, like a beach chair, and every now and then when things get really quiet, you could actually feel the entire like ground just real slightly just kind of moving just kind of shaking every now and then and then it would stop but you would every now and then you'd go oh what is that what is that what is oh it's gone but it would happen enough to where <clears throat> you know 20 years on i'm still talking about it so <laughs> yes yeah well, you know, we were talking about memory earlier, and this is for people like us, this is such uh, fodder. It's so good. And in, when we have, uh, everyone has the opportunity. It's like dreaming. Everyone can experience memory. Most people live in memory. And one of the things that is just so fascinating about all this is the stuff. So yes, memory is intangible. It's, I mean, how can you prove it up? got videos and cameras and stuff but you know i don't know anyway the things that stick out 
just, you don't even need reminders like, oh, I remember this, the stuff that is just pillars in the experience that you've had here that are somehow rooted in what is an apparent alleged past, I think are the most important things when we're building the narrative of what the fuck is going on. And I'm talking about this because we actually kind of need to do this personally before we move into the collective. You, it, it behooves us all to understand what is my normal, what is normal for me and not what's normal for Susie over there, right? What's normal for me, what's not normal for me. And then this is above and beyond the work, the, the meditative work of what's your voice, what's not your voice, et cetera. And so when you start deconstructing everything around you and you only have these pillars of extreme experience that, that stick up out of the ocean of you, those are the things I think ultimately that take us into a deeper idea of what's going on. So like you just experienced, like you just related that, that memory. And that's what triggered me to think about how, how these sparkling stars in our experience create something bigger. So sometimes when you're building something, you need to, like say a painting, you, you gotta get the washes in before you can start coming in with the stuff that's gonna tell the real story, but everything tells the story. You still need the key points to drive the narrative for other people to cognitively understand on some level what it is you're trying to tell through a narrative. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's you, you're building the building blocks of your own narrative kind of thing. Absolutely. And that kind of weaves into the tapestry of everyone else's narrative. So yeah, totally. I totally get what you're saying. I hope I get that. Did, did I say that? Did, does that make sense to you what I just said? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Yeah. But yeah. I love this where we're... So what do you, so this is my question to you. What do you think when you're looking at your personal experience here, the totality of who you are and all that you can recall in your realm and the stuff that is actually sticking up, these pillars of experience that stick up through the fog of memory? Uh, what, so, and I know that this is part of what you've been doing with your shows and with your partnerships with other people uh, and what you've, gifting the collective with, but do you, are you seeing something, I'm trying to get at, I guess, maybe something more that is not, you're not necessarily letting go into the collective. Are you detecting but, any patterns? Well, that you're not talking about though, is there oh, something okay. percolating up that you've been a little bit, um, you've got your eye on it, but you're not necessarily are you reality hesitant? Right. You haven't <laughs> shared it yet. So I'm just trying to get at what these pillars of your life, where you've been, where you're going, where you are right now. Do you have any hard conclusions? And then the conclusions that you've come to, what is wispy? What's popping up now that wasn't popping up, say, two months ago? Well, first I'll address... Um what you just talked about with me not being forthright with everything. And I'm not, I, um, given the reaction of how people responded to the 2012 um, 
series, you know, that goes back to that. That's uh, that, that informed me with everything I needed to know in terms of a general kind of audience thing. They just, they can't handle it. Yes. So yes, there's a lot of hold back. You get maybe 10% of it. Um, and I give me that with you, right. You get maybe 10% because the 2012 was just this thing I've, that I just threw out there and it just completely, you know, upended certain people. So it was like, okay, well, live and learn. And yeah, since then I've, I've, you know, I've taken into consideration different kinds of systems, different kinds of um, practices. And I just, I don't share them and I don't, I don't, I don't care to certain people. I share some things with off air um, certain people in my private life I share with, but, um, I sort of, um, I sort of scatter the information in different sort of, um, increments. I don't, there, there isn't, there isn't one group of people or one person where you can get the entire tapestry of what I do, because I don't think that, um, one, I don't think it would be helpful to me. I don't see any point in doing that. And two, I don't see any reason why it would be helpful for someone else because this is what I do, you know, and, and everyone else does what they do. And most yes. people keep it at a certain at a surface level at, at one or two percent. If you go down to 20% or you go even deeper, you know, to the darker, you know, and not dark isn't dark as in like dark right. i mean we like this the ocean settles the deeper you get in the, the ocean you know until then and then there's a calmness to it and as you get deeper into that you know there's there's almost no point in sharing so um yes i don't i i hold back a lot and a lot of people i think they sense that and they think it's like evasion or whatever it is but i don't need to just as soon as i discover something run out and just you know wear it on my sleeve and share it with the world i just I, I have no desire to do that. It's, um, you know, it's one of the reasons, and, and I'm not blasting folks who do that, that write books. I think it's very important, especially if you have something important to say, or you have information, but it's one of the reasons why I, I don't write books. I don't, you know, and I, it's one of the reasons too, I have no desire to keep pushing, you know, uh, I, yes. I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned in uh, the last show I was on with Chip, we were being interviewed and it was like, we had pushed the documents that we had as far as we could, we worked them and worked them and worked them. And if we wanted to still have productive shows, we would need new material. And that would be so much work that I wasn't willing to put into, particularly not with the public and giving it to the public that I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. And, and there's so many people, there's something just so, um, uh, something so, just distasteful with the public. They're just so pedestrian in their comments and they're just, just, you know, there's a lot of core people that would be, you know, you could deal with in a private setting, but just putting it out to the general public, I think surface level stuff is probably pretty good. But if you go anywhere deeper than that, you're really just, you're wasting a lot of effort. You know, it's like a pearls to swine kind of thing. It's just, it's just not worth the effort. So I absolutely agree on that. Yeah. So I don't do it. I don't do it. So, 
Um, and I'm in a point where in, in the things that I do in the research and things, I, I simply, I see no upside in sharing it. I, I just, I just don't. You, I do sense, I, and I've always sensed, I've got to say, and especially now that I've got, um, that we're talking in this way, uh, you seem like there is a lot, you're very present. And I talk to a lot of people like you, and um, I deal with a lot of people, and uh, and I'm a full-on introvert, but this is the magic of our modern world. And there is something generating within you that I sense, and these little bits that you give out uh, are extraordinary. So that's why I was curious. I'm like, what else is going on in here? Because the the bit that we see, the shiny spark parts that those of us that are peers see and recognize in you are remarkable. And so it, it feels tantalizing to ask questions like that for me, to ask you questions like that, because I know there's so much more going on. Yeah, and um, in a forum like this, that's really public, I, you know, I probably wouldn't want to share, but I mean, you know, I've talked to people offline before and, um, and, and still, um, I just, like I said, I wouldn't, not with one single person would I give the entirety. It's just, it's just too eclectic and, um, it's just too, it's just too hard to explain. So, yeah, it's interesting. You picked up on that. Most people, they kind of do, but it makes them hostile. They, they think I'm hiding or I'm being evasive or, um, they take it as, as an affront to them. Um, and some people get really upset by that. That's interesting that the approach you're, you're one of the few people that take that, that approach. And I appreciate that, that, you know, my privacy is mine and, you know, yes. I don't have to share any of this and, yes. you know, I could go away tomorrow. Um, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. You know, we, we did really good work for a couple of years and if that's it, then that's it. That's fine by me. Um, I don't need to do anything else. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, in fact, I'm really disinclined from doing anything else. I would have something really special would have to happen to, to get my interest to where I felt compelled to come out and start working again on a regular basis. So I just, I have no desire for, for that. Well, this is why when we look at um, things like the invisible college and all that and old school apprenticeship and all this, the, there's, this is why I've always honored the sacred. The sacred is gone from the collective in general. And the sacred lives within people like us. And I'm sure uh, uh, from what I saw when I was in the chat, all these good people that I love that are a course of all of ours. And the idea of keeping something shrouded because it's sacred is justified and ancient. And it is always interesting to me when people get hostile about that, as if we should be uh, autopsied in public, basically. And so there are people out there that dis, how do I say this friendly, um, that mislead, do a lot of misleading, they throw a lot of crap out, and um, they are, fully, here's a good way, they are fully immersed in the material experience. And so they're just looking at number counts, what money's flowing in, and um, all that kind of materialistic, heavy materialistic kind of uh, 
feedback from the collective. So by asking you and questioning you on this and sensing that you reveal what is appropriate, where is appropriate, and have a sense of the sacred and um, keeping it from the whole old school thing, pearls to swine, uh, is you, you've just, you've, you've upped my, my respect for you is upped. I want to say that. So I'm not trying to kiss your ass here. I'm trying to say I respect that. And what I'm trying to say to people listening is I, or wonder 100% am here saying you are the real deal. That's what I want to say, because until you talk to someone, until you get in a, an interaction going, it's hard to tell because there are so many people throwing bullshit at the wall. So with that, I just want to thank you. I know we have a question segment, but I want to thank you. This has been a very deeply gratifying experience, and I hope we can uh, cross paths again. Well, thank you. I, I, those are very kind words, and I, I, I'm, I'm really happy that you recognize that and you took it the right way. So thank you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, much respect. So I only had one question that I saw, and it was from, you know, our friend Oswald. Are you familiar with John Lamb Lash and his uh, his Mandela Effect work? I'm I'm familiar with the name and the channel, I think, or at least I've seen some of his work around. But uh, if he has specific um, things. I, I guess he does. Okay. Someone wanted yeah. to know what you thought of his work on the Mandela Effect. If you don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know specifically. Okay. I know the name. I know I know of him. Yeah. Yep. He's a Gnostic guy, I think. Okay. I don't know. I don't follow him. I don't I've met, haven't heard any of his stuff, so I can't say. Got it. And then I have a question myself and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Uh, give me your take on space. What is space? Oh God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, this is one of those things. This is one of those things. Yeah, um, I know. Um Broad strokes. I'm not looking for details, you know. What is space? Um, I think that <clears throat> I think that um, I think space. Well, first off, space isn't exactly what um, a lot of people or the mainstream concept of it. It's not that. Um, it is. There is an outer space. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a place that's away from here. There is a way to get to that place. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are a lot of procedures in place that are not revealed to the public that are implemented. And I think that that are implemented in order to make those things happen. So what you see from NASA and a lot of the science agencies are genuine. The problem is it's not, it's not, um, perhaps it's not entirely the way in which it's portrayed. And because of that, when a lot of conspiracy theorists presume to know the answer about something, mm -hmm. they, they immediately jump to conclusions about things. Right. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'll say about that. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Right. No, it's perfect. Perfect. That's a good answer, actually. Yeah. 
We so, could be here forever talking <laughs> about space. I want to. I want to do a space show with a bunch of people. Like have a panel. That would someday. be really fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, um, so thanks. So, you have anything you'd like to plug at all, other than your Twitter or YouTube channel? And I mean, I put those links in the show notes. Uh, not really. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I'm good. I mean, you can you can visit me on Twitter if you like. That's where I'm at most of the time. Uh, you know, you can look SMQAI and just look me up. And uh, that's about it. Great. And as you said, the old school 2012 stuff is back up on your YouTube. Yeah, I, I, by accident, I just, I was on the channel. Um, I have a music playlist I return to every now and then and update and play around with, and it was just there. So it's back. So. Oh, geez. Everyone should take advantage of that. It's yeah. remarkable. Serious. Yeah. And I, I'll go back and put a link to that playlist into the show notes, into the description or the mm -hmm. comments or something. So anyway, I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here. It was really nice of you to come on. And you've been one of my favorite YouTubers for five years. Yeah. <laughs> At least. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's uh, been a, an honor to speak to you again. I've spoken to you once before on Cruising mm -hmm. with Steak. Mm -hmm. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. But uh, it's been great. And thank you so much. And um, hope to have you back again sometime if you come come across any new things you want to talk about we'd love to have you back anytime and uh thank you everyone listening we had a big big audience tonight yeah it was nice so thanks so, for listening everyone thank you Nish. yes thank you jerry thank you smq <laughs> thank you. and everyone that that tuned into us and will tune into us in the future that's right and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh chris knowles the Secret Sun blog will be on. So that should be a good synchromistic talk. Can't wait for that. All right, everyone, have a great week, and we will see you next time.